all my terraced gardens and fencing and everything, just wiped it all out. White Rock residents on the edge after the ground gives way. Are other homes at risk? The truth about distracted driving. The statistics do not justify the harsh crackdown on people. Documents that show the province made a bad call about the danger of cell phones. <laughs> Careful. <laughs> <clears throat> the off-the-cuff comment that has the mayor of North Vancouver issuing an apology. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Three Metro Vancouver homes literally hanging on the edge. Their owners forced by a major, forced out rather, by a major failure of the ground around them. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Yesterday's torrential rain may have been an inconvenience for most Metro Vancouverites, but for some White Rock families, it's been a life-changing event. Grace Key is live for us in White Rock tonight, where three homes have been evacuated after the land around mm -hmm. them gave way. And I know there's some new details. Grace. Yeah, late this afternoon, there was uh, one of the homes, the folks there were allowed back in, but we are just standing here at the foot of the slide where you can see behind me here used to be a three-tiered backyard. White Rock resident Gary May was in his den at about 4.30 Monday afternoon when he heard a loud noise. This was tree hedge all the way along there. You can see it's all washed down there. After several days of heavy rain, his three-tiered backyard came crashing down the slope along with his hedge and fence. Three homes had to be evacuated. At first I thought it was just a gush of wind because we would get a big gust yeah. and then it went whoosh. And then I heard something fall and I looked out and saw this. Sitting below his property, a condominium complex with restless neighbors worried if the rest of it was going to come oh, yeah, tumbling down as well. But one of the concerns was whether that how that big house back there was in was safe to come. Might it come down and then yeah. it would have a huge effect on the side. Luckily, no one was injured and there's been no structural damage. This all sits on private property, but the city has hired an engineering company to work on emergency repairs and clear out the debris. There is still a significant amount of material that could come down the hillside. Uh, plans are in place to pull that material back. The engineer also has this advice for people with wooden retaining walls. And don't build wood retaining walls on steep slope areas. Uh. These tend to last about 25 years and then they come crashing down. So the work has wrapped up for the night, but crews will be back here tomorrow to make the temporary repairs, and then it'll be turned back over to the owners where they're going to have to uh, come up with a more permanent design. Chris and Sophie? All right, thanks very much, Grace. And another slide along the White Rock waterfront has forced the cancellation of Amtrak service between Vancouver and Bellingham. Mud and debris came down on the tracks early this morning. Amtrak has cleared the slide but will wait until tomorrow afternoon to resume service to make sure that area is safe. A tragedy in North Vancouver is another reminder of the dangers of local rivers at this time of the year. The body of a 48-year-old North Van kayaker was recovered this morning one day after he drowned while kayaking the Capilano River alone. He was spotted in distress yesterday afternoon and later his kayak was flushed out the river's mouth without him. His body was spotted, but rescuers had to wait until this morning to retrieve it safely. The water levels fluctuate within minutes 
And uh, when it's swift and it's dangerous, if you get caught up in it, uh, within seconds you could be swept downstream. Police say the water level was 70% higher than normal yesterday. The victim's name still has not been released. Our governments, ICBC, and even the police exaggerating the dangers of di distracted driving. A Richmond company says its Freedom of Information request has revealed far fewer deaths due to drivers using cell phones behind the wheel than officials claim. Tetranecki reports. Tiguan, he's got a black phone in his hand. Most of us have seen those intersection crackdowns on motorists suspected of using their cell phones while driving. You'll see one officer here, a West Van Corporal, now retired, who at the time asked himself, what was he doing here, really? We've been told as, as police, uh, as traffic officers and police officers, it's cell phones. Right from the brass on down, they say, get those electronic device tickets. Those are the ones that are killing people. But that's coming from the government. And that's not fact-based. So he had a freedom of information request made to the coroner service. It could only say there are on average about two deaths a year due to distraction from an electronic device, yet ICBC routinely reports there are 88 distracted driving deaths every year. The numbers for distracted driving are significant. The numbers for cell phones are almost insignificant, and but they they put them together and then they tell us that the threat is cell phones and obviously that's misleading because the the uh, cell phones are, are barely a threat. For fatalities, but they do cause a lot of fender benders. ICBC reports that 43,000 distracted tickets were handed out in 2016 alone, 300,000 since 2010, the vast majority to cell phone users. We would just stand where we're standing right now. Someone would pull up to the uh, a red light. The second they picked their phone up and looked at it, boom, they got the ticket. Right? Well, those people aren't killing anybody. No one's died as a result of sitting at an intersection looking at their cell phone and putting it down. It's the people that are physically talking. But even the people that are physically talking or texting while they're driving, the stats say two a year on average since 2010. Not the huge numbers that ICBC is, is telling us. Nobody disputes the fact handheld phones are dangerous while driving. But the point here is... Far too much effort is focusing on cell phones when clearly there are many other more dangerous distractions. Ted Chernecki, Global News. The shocking revelation that more than a half dozen illegal ride-hailing apps are operating in the city of Richmond is leading to a major crackdown. The city and province are handing out thousands of dollars worth of fines and tickets. And as Nadia Stewart reports, they're discovering that some of the drivers are clearly unqualified to be carrying passengers. It's news that came as a surprise to many in Metro Vancouver, that there were nearly half a dozen illegal ride-hailing apps operating in the region, most of them in Richmond, all of them now the target of a major crackdown. Twelve different uh, individuals were, were stopped. They were given a whole raft of tickets from the PTB, from the RCMP, and from the cities. Each driver hit with an $1,150 fine from the Passenger Transportation Board, plus fines for not displaying a chauffeur's permit or a tariff card. Police handed out five tickets, one car was towed, but the most concerning was the driver picking up passengers with an N sticker on the back of the vehicle. That really highlighted the fact that if you get into a car through these apps, you don't know what standards there are. You don't know what the background of this person is. You don't know if there's insurance or any other kind of standards. 
This was the first major enforcement of its kind in Richmond, happening just weeks after revelation of their existence at a PTB meeting about ride-hailing apps. With most of these companies operating in a virtual space, pressure is being put on the drivers in an attempt to get them to shy away from the service. But at least one of the apps is still operating, saying users can sign up to become a driver or hail a ride via the app. Udik Fastcashovis. This app, listed by the PTB as one they're watching, appears to still be recruiting drivers. Our translator tells us what the page says. You can call a car anytime. You can even pre-book. We contacted the PTB for an interview today, but no one was made available to speak on camera. The city of Richmond says enforcement will continue, and the PTB warns other Metro Vancouver cities the same could be happening elsewhere right under their nose. Nadia Stork, Global News. Three people have been charged in an attack in Surrey dating back nearly two years. Back in March of 2016, a man who was well known to police was shot during a targeted break-in. Charges of break-and-enter, robbery and aggravated assault have now been laid against 33-year-old David Fitzpatrick and 28-year-old James Polloway and one other suspect who was a juvenile at the time. The mayor of the city of North Vancouver is apologizing tonight for an inappropriate comment made during a recent council meeting. As Ramina Dea reports, the suggestive joke came during a seemingly innocuous discussion about bike lanes. A warning, some of the language is of a mature nature. It started off innocently enough, a routine North Vancouver City Council meeting over elephant feet. New square markings at city crosswalks, allowing cyclists to ride through an intersection without dismounting. Also include in that education campaign what elephant feet markings mean. But then the mayor said something that should have never come out of his mouth. And camel toes the same as elephant feet? Are they interchangeable? <laughs> Careful. <laughs> The comment, a slang term for female genitalia in tight clothes, appeared to catch several people in chambers off guard. find it hard to believe that you didn't know the context of such a derogatory term. Yeah, I now understand uh, the words that I said were inappropriate. I regret what I said, yeah. and I apologize to those who I offended, and it will not happen again. Mayor Daryl Masato says his comment was referring to this controversial piece of art on Lonsdale. City Councillor Rod Clark told us, I find it hard to swallow that the mayor was unaware of the context. It's in the general vernacular. I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt. Workplace behavior experts don't believe what happened is a career ender, given the mayor has apologized. Sorry often is enough. And again, it's going to depend on what people think about this. It's, it doesn't affect me. I'm not a person within his jurisdiction. So it's going to be up to individuals just to say, hey, look, um, I didn't like that. Um, an apology might be enough. Or if they're looking for more than that, then they're going to have to express that to the mayor. So this is part of a, a national conversation. I, I welcome it. I think we should talk about it. I don't think we should blow it out of proportion, but I do think that it's important to recognize that these kinds of comments are demeaning and inappropriate, and there's really no place for them in, in the political workplace. We reached out to several female staff who were at the meeting last month. No one has contacted us. Romina Dea, Global News. The B.C. government has fired another volley in the ongoing battle over the expansion of Kinder Morgan's Trans Mountain Pipeline. 
The province now says it wants to restrict any increase in bitumen shipments through B.C., pending more studies into spill response. Our legislative reporter Richard Zussman is in Victoria with the details. Richard. This could be the final nail in the coffin for the Kinder Morgan Pipeline twinning project. The B.C. government today announcing potential restrictions on moving bitumen from the oil sands in northern Alberta to B.C.'s coast in Burnaby. Environment Minister George Heyman announcing plans today to use just one tool, as he describes it, that the provincial government has to stop that Trans Mountain Pipeline twinning project. The $7 billion-plus project would see about three times as much bitumen moved along the current pipeline route every day. There will be no increase until we're assured and British Columbians are assured that a potential spiller can adequately clean up the mess and prevent uh, the negative impacts of a spill on our coastline, our waterways. You don't build a country by having one province dictate to other provinces, well, you can't move your goods through our port. And that's effectively what's happening here. Well, Heyman's comments sent shockwaves on the other side of the Rockies. Alberta Premier Rachel Notley blasting the B.C. government today, saying it's grasping at straws and that B.C. is rewriting the Constitution. Notley closing her Twitter storm with this. Job creators need to be able to trust lawmakers. Today's announcement suggests that in B.C. they cannot. British Columbians, indeed all Canadians, deserve better. It's worth reminding people this project does have federal approval, but it seems at this point the B.C. government is doing everything it can to derail it. Sophie, Chris? But first, a Richmond family is speaking to Global News tonight, mourning the loss of a young man they call their hero. 23-year-old Cal Winder Thind was killed last weekend while trying to break up a fight outside of Granville Street Bar. As Kristen Robinson reports, his family want the people responsible brought to justice. He's an amazing human being. He was so kind and generous. Holding on to her baby brother, Jessica Buller can't believe he's gone. It was a huge loss for the community, for us, for family. We're still, it's still surreal to all of us. 23-year-old Calwinder Thind or Kindy, as his family called him, dancing inside the Cabana Lounge earlier this month. He lit up the room every time he walked in. His laugh was infectious. He wanted to spread joy to everybody. Yeah, and he did that. One week later, the nightclub promoter and aspiring realtor who loved life was dead. What happened to him was heinous and senseless, and it should never happen to anybody ever again. Early Saturday, Thind was working at Cabana when a fight broke out inside the club. When the violence spilled onto the street, he stepped in to break it up. Thind was stabbed and died in hospital. Why would someone bring a knife to a club? Like, you go there to have fun, have a good time. That's what my brother did. Police are appealing for witness video as they investigate the deadly fight. Five arrests were made, but no charges have been laid. I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure that he gets justice. He took away not just somebody from us, from everybody he touched. He took away the best person I know. Outside Cabana, Thind is being remembered as a hero. A vigil will be held here Wednesday at 7 p.m. to remember the man who worked two jobs to fuel his big dreams. In so many ways, people are calling him a hero. He was always our hero, but now 
the world can know how much of a hero he is. Kristen Robinson, Global News. And we have some breaking news for you now from BC's always volatile political battleground. One day before BC Liberals are set to begin voting for a new leader, a grenade has been thrown into the middle of the leadership race. Keith Baldry joins us live from Victoria with more on these breaking details. Keith, a serious accusation here being made against Todd Stone by some of the other candidates. Yeah, this is a strange one. This is an email I, I was able to get a copy of uh, obtained today. It's written by four representatives of four leadership candidates to the rules committee of the B.C. Liberal Party saying that Todd Stone was the focus of a, of a meeting and, and a, a sort of an examination of his memberships, and a lot of memberships were found to be rejected or invalid, and they want full disclosure. Well, here's what the email reads in part uh, from the four uh, candidate representatives. It says, it is our understanding the rules committee uh, deliberated on allegations relating to the Todd Stone leadership campaign. The issue related to invalid or rejected memberships collected by the Todd Stone leadership campaign. We request immediate release, disclosure of the specific nature of the allegations and any and all decisions or cons conclusions arising from those meetings. So uh, again, this comes right before they start voting on Thursday. I'm not sure what the point of this was from the other camps. Uh, no official response from the party yet. Uh, my understanding, though, is that the party is going to reject this uh, demand from the four camps with the argument that, look, uh, all of you had memberships rejected because you didn't follow the rules in all instances. The Stone campaign tells me just moments ago they feel that they followed all the rules as best as could be and that all candidates had problems when it came to uh, meeting those rules and signing and not having any improper uh, sign-up. So it's bizarre. I've covered a lot of leadership races. I've never seen four candidates go public with dirty laundry on the eve of the vote against another candidate. Quite extraordinary. An indication, I think, of some of the lack of discipline that seems to exist in that party after being in opposition now after being in power for so long. Right, and we'll see if it has any impact tomorrow for the vote. All right, thanks very much, right. Keith. RCMP are investigating a shooting in Surrey overnight in the 8800 block of 132nd Street. Witnesses report seeing a vehicle speed away after several rounds were fired. Police tracked down and detained six people, but no charges have been laid. No one was hurt. The ongoing gang violence in Metro Vancouver has spawned a new debate over the growing popularity of South Asian gangster rap. As Sonia Diol reports, some members of the Indo-Canadian community say the graphic language and videos glorify gang life. And a warning, some of the images in this story could be disturbing for some viewers. I'm a, I'm a brown boy. Videos filled with bravado. Power. Lyrics all about carrying guns. South Asian gangster rap is smashing the South Asian music scene right now, and many young Indo-Canadians are listening to it. But parents like Simran Walia say the influence it's having is alarming. Music is something that teenagers connect with instantly, and if this is the kind of music that's going out there with a video that explicitly shows how to think, how to act, then it is very uh, disturbing. Most of the artists producing this music are Canadian. Some of them even proudly showing off the fact, but none of them are gangsters in real life. Red FM DJ Nick Chowlia says it's all fake. It's wanna be a gangster. We've even heard conversations on, on social media about that half of these artists don't even hold a gun until the video shoot. Born in the U.S. in the 1980s, gangster rap was the way artists like N.W.A. expressed their anger towards white police officers and how they were being treated. So are these artists feeling the same way? 
do they come from that cultural hip hop background? No, it's now I think more of you know he's singing those kind of songs. They're selling. Let me try. While the singers show off their guns in the name of entertainment, the realities of gang life clear to see in the Lower Mainland. 18-year-old Suchdeep Singh Doot found dead in the trunk of a car only a couple of weeks ago. Local DJ Lady B says even though the music isn't helping, there is more to what's going on, but no one can put their finger on it. This music is being played all over the world, and yet it's Surrey that has the gang problem. And I think that that's the question we need to be asking is, even if the music is influencing in some respects, What's the real issue? Because it can't be the music alone. The police have produced their own set of videos and say theirs show the real face of gang life. But who a teenager listens to is a challenge. Our job is not to give up. Our job is to keep pushing our message out, you know, to show them the realities of gang life. And for those who feel the South Asian community is being unfairly stereotyped, the facts, according to police, are clear. Almost one-third of all targeted deaths related to gang violence in B.C. are South Asian. There is an overrepresentation of uh, South Asian kids and gangs, no doubt about that. The most popular artist right now, Sidhu Musiala, performing in Surrey this Friday. Sonia Diol, Global News. A developing story out of Southern California tonight where three people were killed and two others injured when a helicopter crashed into a home this afternoon. Four people were on board the Robinson 44 helicopter when it went down not far from John Wayne Airport. Reports say one of the fatalities was a person on the ground. Dramatic video out of Edmonton tonight of a police takedown that began when the owner of a truck caught an alleged thief in the act. Video shows police breaking the driver's side window and tasering the 19-year-old suspect before taking him into custody. This all started when a man having lunch in a nearby restaurant was told someone was stealing his truck. He and others then surrounded the truck, but the alleged thief simply continued trying to hotwire the vehicle. He kept on working on it right up until police arrived to arrest him. Still more shocking twist tonight in the story of that alleged serial killer in Toronto. Global News has learned that police found a young man tied to a bed in the suspect's home when they initially arrested him. As Catherine McDonald tells us, the reaction from former clients of the accused is horrifying. Bruce was our gardener, like a lot of people on the street. Vianne Ewart and his wife hired Bruce MacArthur to maintain their flower pots when they bought their townhouse near Young and St. Clair six years ago. We're shocked that, you know, the person that we knew as little as we did would be an alleged serial killer. The couple was not surprised when detectives called them asking to search their property. We understood the police had to visit and they had to bring cadaver dogs to the backyard. Our backyard was clean. But police sources confirmed to Global News that partial remains were found in a planter at this townhouse where MacArthur worked right next door. Those homeowners are away. Global News has also learned police seized a planter from the property of this War Park home where MacArthur also worked. Can you tell me about what happened when police came to your home? They said, do you know why we're here? And I said, yes. Global News has learned that MacArthur was arrested 11 days ago after police joined surveillance feared for the safety of a young man seen entering his 19th floor suite in the Thorncliffe Park apartment where he lived. When they kicked in the door, they found the man tied to the bedposts. They were supposedly for a consensual date, thankfully unharmed. This is just beyond crazy. 
This man says he was friendly with one of the victims, 47-year-old Dean Lisowick, and never imagined the homeless man would be involved. He's just someone that, you know, that's part of the community, part of the streetscape, right, you know? And, uh, and then to see him on that picture there was really hard. As police unearth those planters and connect the DNA from remains to missing people, more charges are expected to be laid. Hard for everyone involved to imagine. The yeah. planter that they took, have they told you if they found anything in that no, planter? I don't think they will. You don't think they will? No, I'm, I'm not looking forward to it one way or the other. One of the lead actors from the hit TV show Glee has died of an apparent suicide. I'm sorry, I don't understand where all this is 35-year-old Mark Soling played bad boy Puck and in real life was awaiting sentencing after pleading guilty to possessing child pornography. Soling was facing as much as seven years in prison. His body was found near a riverbed in a Los Angeles neighborhood. U.S. President Donald Trump is delivering his first State of the Union address tonight after a tumultuous year in office. We have endured floods and fires and storms. But through it all, we have seen the beauty of America's soul and the steel in America's spine. Trump began his speech to the American people and Congress just a few minutes ago. The U.S. president is expected to boast about the country's economic health while pushing for bipartisanship on other campaign promises. The White House has said Trump would point to a robust economy, economy make that, and low unemployment during his first year and the benefits of a tax overhaul. A Surrey mother is speaking out tonight after a local pharmacy dispensed the wrong medication for her special needs daughter. She caught the mistake in time and says it's happened before. Tanya Beja reports. The dark yellowy orange one here as well here are not supposed to be in this pack. Cheryl Rose didn't recognize the little pills inside her daughter's usual supply of medication. At first I thought it was maybe a generic brand. Assuming that my pharmacist knows what they're doing. Rose's daughter Haley has epilepsy and for 13 years has relied on several prescriptions to keep seizures at bay. But when Rose received the latest package from Shoppers Drug Mart, she says it contained double the daily dose of one pill and was missing another altogether. Is it my job to double check everything that your pharmacist does? Of course, as a parent, I do, but... That's not acceptable. These are, this is a month's worth and only one week is correct. Shoppers Drug Mart won't comment, but a pharmacist we spoke with said she's reviewing the case with staff. Medication-related mistakes are the second most common complaint received by the College of Pharmacists. Last year, 28 cases were reported in B.C. We'll investigate to try to find out what happened in that situation and if there's a, if there's a systematic issue that needs to be addressed or, you know, try to, to make sure that, that we can take steps to prevent that from happening again in the future. Rose's packages are correctly labeled. She wants to know how the wrong pills made it inside. Rose says it's also not the first time. Set their standards higher immediately. Tanya Beja, Global News. In Health Matters tonight, there is some early evidence that deep brain stimulation might help slow the progression of Alzheimer's disease. Scientists at Ohio State University surgically implanted electrical wires into three patients with Alzheimer's. The pacemaker-like device was placed in the frontal lobe of the brain, which controls problem-solving, organization, and judgment. When that area was stimulated, the patient's ability to perform daily tasks declined more slowly. Deep brain stimulation is already used to treat Parkinson's disease.
Amazing. And hopefully not <laughs> incredibly dangerous right. at the same time. All right, meteorologist Christy Gordon joining us now. Uh, not just to talk about the weather, but a pretty uh, amazing phenomenon, Christy. That's right. A super blue blood moon about to occur. So, uh, yes, I'm going to tell you what it is and when it can, is going to happen uh, in a sec. But first, I've got this crazy video that I have to show you from last week's windstorm in Surrey and Cloverdale. Winds were up to 80 kilometers an hour. Can you see the ground? Looks like it's breathing. The wind was so strong, the ground so saturated that it's pulling, the roots are actually pulling the ground up. Uh, you might want to get that tree checked. Thanks to Stacy Green for that video on Twitter. Incredible. All right, so what's a super blue blood moon? Well, it's a super moon, 14% larger because it's closer to the Earth. Blue because it's the second time this month that it's happened. And blood because they're actually going to see a lunar eclipse at 529 a.m. And that means that the Earth's shadow passes directly over the moon and creates a, sort of a blood look to it or a reddish hue, as you can see there. Will we see it, though? Well, if you're in the interior, you might, but those of us across the south coast, we've had a fair amount of moisture push on shore. So it's pockets. We certainly saw some breaks of sunshine today, but there's enough uh, moisture moving on shore that I think we'll generally see overcast skies. Uh, there is still a risk of uh, hail. We had reports of hail in uh, Victoria today. We'll see that through the overnight period as well. With this type of scenario, it's the interior that gets a nice little break. All of the moisture tends to fall along the mountain ranges. Those of you in the north coast, you had 50 centimeters of snow in Terrace. Still another 20 centimeters possible for you through the overnight period. We've just got this funneling of moisture right up through the Skeena Valley, through Terrace, Highway 16 getting hammered as well. That should finally ease off for you tomorrow morning. Meanwhile, tomorrow morning should be mostly dry across the south coast, but we'll see a wave of rain or drizzle move in. It's not going to be the greatest day tomorrow. It'll be a little gray, but Thursday... We've got a soaker on the way, and it's going to take over the coast regions with rain. Inland regions will see snow. So this is your tomorrow, backing up and looking at your Wednesday. Rain along the coast, snow finally ending in Terrace tomorrow, but mostly dry through the interior region. So far lighter for you tomorrow, just some cloud cover along the mountain ranges. South coast, though, dry in the morning. The rain and the drizzle picks up through the afternoon hours. Chilly, though, only warming up to about 6 degrees, and we've got rain in store for us Thursday right through Saturday, but there is a bit of a warm-up. Happy birthday to uh, Vlasta Heitzler. He's turning 100 today and a great shot from a nice walk in the forest today. Keep in mind the rivers and streams are still really high, so you may want to keep your animals on a leash if you're going anywhere near them. Thanks to Alexandra for that one. Good tip for sure. Okay, thanks a lot, Christy. Look, no hands. A self-driving concept car from French automaker Renault is much more than an autonomous vehicle. It offers drivers an integrated virtual reality experience. The Symbio's electric car is capable of level four autonomous driving. That means it can steer even around corners with little to no input from the driver. That frees you up to do other things so the driver can slip on a headset and the landscape will transform from a highway to a nice countryside view. Futuristic city, perhaps, or otherworldly universe. The driver, when he delegates the driving to the system, to the car, on highways, in the, in the, in the case of Symbios, we are on highways, then he can not only remove his feet from the pedals, but also remove his hands from the steering wheel. And he can remove his eyes from the road. And that's the main breakthrough. I just... I would want I to keep my want, eyes on the road, I think. I don't want 
any drivers to not have their eyes on <laughs> Yeah, That's true. And it's funny, with that car, the headlights apparently change so that people around the car know that it's in autonomous mode. I got a I'll question about this, this whole self-driving car thing. If your self-driving car has a glitch and blows through a stop sign or a red light, do you get the ticket? Or, or can you blame it on the car? I blame it Was on it the me? Car. Those are all questions that are going to need to be answered before there's any of those on the road, let's hope, anyway. In through the nose, out through the mouth yeah. to regain your breath after a sprint up the stairs. Uh, you know what, I'm all about breathing through the mouth. I become a mouth breather <laughs> once I start running. Uh, okay, so the Canucks are home to Colorado tonight. And this is a team that uh, Vancouver might be a bit envious of. And here is why. Last year, the Colorado Avalanche were bad. How bad? Thank you. They were so bad that the Vancouver Canucks had 21 more points than they did. And Vancouver was the second worst team in the NHL. That is how bad Colorado was last year. But right now, they are in a playoff spot. In fact, here's how weird things have gotten in the NHL. If the playoffs started today, Colorado would play Vegas in the first round. Nobody would have thought that possible at the start of the season. Okay, we mentioned last night about the Canucks wondering if they should trade Thomas Vanek. That same debate surrounds defenseman Eric Goodbranson. His contract runs out this season. Will he be moved before the deadline in late February? Playoff contenders would be very interested in a big defenseman like Goodbranson. But how does he feel about it? Well, there's not much he can do, so until further notice, he's just happy to be a Canuck. You know, obviously there's been some conversations that have happened and, and uh, you know, we'll see. At the end of the day, it's, it's really not my decision, um, you know, if they trade me or not. I hope they don't, uh, but, um, yeah, it's, it's not really uh, my choice. So this happened yesterday. Flames put uh, Yermer Yager on waivers. He's gone back to the team he owns in Czech Republic. This is the final goal he ever scored back in November. I don't think he's coming back to the NHL. 24 seasons in the National Hockey League. So if he doesn't come back, here are his milestone statistics. Second all-time in points. Third all-time in goals. Third all-time in games. He was actually closing in on Gordy Howe, who is the most in terms of games played. And then Messier's between Yager and Howe. Fifth all-time in assists. And when it comes to game-winning goals, Yager is number one. And apparently ever since he was at the age of seven... He did 1,000 squats a day. Wow. That's, that's what he says. Wow. Dan Hamuse playing his 1,000th NHL game tonight for Dallas. There he is getting a nice hand. Uh, he's a native of Smithers, of course, former Vancouver Canuck, played here for almost six seasons. He'll be in the BC Hockey Hall of Fame one day. Today, actually, the BC Hockey Hall of Fame put in Willie Mitchell, Scott Hannon, Jerry Sillers, and the 1980 Burnaby Lakers team. Congratulations to all of them. The 2010 Olympics were eight years ago. That is hard to believe. Uh, Which means we're eight years older. Mm -hmm. But we don't look a day over eight years older, <laughs> do we? I, the advances in makeup are terrific. Uh, that is enough time, of course, for kids who were inspired by how, by how great Canada did in Vancouver and Whistler to be on this year's Olympic team, like North Vancouver's Jane Channel, who could win a medal in skeleton. It's down to the last few workouts for Canadian Olympian Jane Channel. 
Channel and her fellow skeleton racers recharging their batteries before departing for Korea at the end of the week. It's the North Vancouver natives' first trip to the Olympics and one that's been years in the making. It's all so surreal and I don't like none of it hasn't set in for any of my teammates or anything like that. I feel like that too. So I think it might all kind of hit us at once when we get off the plane in Korea and we're swamped by our teammates there or when we're walking in at opening ceremonies, but... This was the moment that propelled Jane headfirst into the world of skeleton. Back in 2010, just like the rest of Canada, Channel watched John Montgomery win Olympic gold at Whistler. Except unlike you and I, she became more than a spectator. Channel dared to dream, becoming part of the Own the Podium program. Eight years and three World Cup medals in pursuit of her own Olympic gold medal. You, you see the evolution and, and the product of, of the Whistler Sliding Center. Uh, one of the few athletes who has come up through the Whistler Sliding Center and made their way through the sport to the very top level. And it's impressive to see that. Uh, Canada has two tracks and for so long we've been concentrated in Calgary. And to see athletes come through that Whistler program and through that Olympic legacy of 2010, it's something. To see the nation come together as a whole and get behind the, the moment of John Montgomery walking down the village stroll, jumping on the podium, winning gold in Canada. He won gold for Canada. It was incredible and it was something that definitely inspired me to get out there and try skeleton. Um, Vancouver 2010's motto was with glowing hearts and I've got a maple leaf where my heart is and I've got Canada running through my veins. So the only thing that's missing is a medal, and you're going to add that in a few weeks' time. Time will tell. <laughs> okay, and now something that's even more popular than Shark Week. The always frightening when Zambonis attack. This is an interview between periods at a German hockey league game. Keep your eye on the player being interviewed. Yep, Zamboni Hola. backs over das two of the crew nicht. members on the hockey broadcast. But they're okay. They are okay. Take one more look here. The player notices I'm getting out of here. Someone must have hit reverse there. Or otherwise, this is like some sort of Stephen King Zamboni. I don't know what it is. Also, like Christine. Stefan, Leuber, so aussieht, Scotty's up in Penticton. BC's record is 3-2. and two. They'll play tonight. And Manitoba unbeaten at 5-0. and oh. There you go. Here's today's snow report. 38 new centimeters for Whistler Blackcomb. Grouse reporting a base of 380 centimeters, the same at Cypress. Sasquatch just under 320. In the interior, Revelstoke a base of 253, Manning Park 192, Powder King 239, and on the island, Mount Washington 260. Lots of fresh snow, all areas there. Big White, a base of 231, Silver Star 225, Sun Peaks 181, base at Apex 203, through the southern interior, up to about six fresh centimeters of snow in the last 24 hours. Well, Victoria's long-standing reputation of being home to only government workers and retirees may be coming to an end. As Kylie Stanton reports, a new study puts the city almost at the top of the list of prime destinations for millennials. So we're going to integrate with yeah, that website? They come for the work. That's awesome. And stay to play. 
for millennials in Victoria. It's all about balance. It was a city that I wanted to live in for a couple of different reasons. One was beautiful weather, lots of great food, lots of cool activities, lots of young people in town. That'll be a great one to show. Like that. Martin Nikliva is not the only one. Victoria is now considered an up-and-coming hotspot for millennials, according to a new study by Point Two Homes. Just moved here from Calgary. There does seem to be a lot. I mean, the coffee shop culture and things, you do, you do notice a fair bit. It's the best of both worlds. Of 85 Canadian cities ranked on nine criteria from climate to crime rate, BC's capital came in at number two, second only to Quebec City. Larger centres like Toronto, Montreal and Calgary didn't even break the top five. Even Vancouver just barely slid into the top ten. Victoria is growing and changing, but it's the scale of Victoria, the small compact nature of it that, uh, that makes it what it is. And I think that's what's attracting people here. So is climate and apparently the level of life satisfaction. Victoria tied with Saanich, scoring the highest in the country in those two areas. But when it comes to housing prices, it's a different story. The city took 61st place in that category, showing there's quite literally a price you have to pay to be here. I think it just really shows how much people are willing to spend for the quality of life that we provide here. And I think we need to look at creating more housing opportunities, condos, townhouses, creative housing opportunities that millennials are looking for. Construction on nearly every downtown corner, a sign of that demand. Not only transforming the city skyline, but also its long-held reputation. Nearly wed, nearly dead. What's that about? Kylie Stanton, Global News, Victoria. Blissfully unaware. It's a <laughs> lovely place to live. You were there for a while. When I was the age of millennial. millennial. Well, that's right. <laughs> were you the only millennial there at the time? I might have been. Okay. So Keith, is always, <laughs> Keith is always funny because he jokes about only coming back here to Canada every so often, <laughs> as rarely as he can.